0: Thank you for blessing our hearts and turning our minds to Christ and how the gospel works in our lives. Uh, we are blessed in so many ways, and um, rain is always a good thing in July, and we, we like it. It not only keeps us from the drought, but it keeps the temperatures mitigated, but we are glad that it rained this week and not last um, in the morning. You probably well know that the Apostle John was the last surviving Apostle. The others who walked with Jesus and bore witness to His person and His work by the time John is writing are home with the Lord, and John remains. As did the other Apostles before they went to their eternal reward, he wrote by the power of the Holy Spirit the words of God testifying to the truth of the gospel. And when John finally makes his exodus, the New Testament scriptures will be complete. The infallible testimony and application of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Before they left for their heavenly home, the apostles chosen by Jesus himself to be his witnesses not only established the reliable record of his ministry, but also shepherded local churches and the individuals in them, and what staying true to Jesus Christ really means. The letter of Third John is such a letter. It is brief, it's personal, it's to the point. And at the same time, it is profound and insightful exposing what is evil and promoting what is good. In the first eight verses, John rejoices at the faithful love and the truth of the gospel that his Christian brother Gaius has displayed toward brothers on gospel mission. You might think at this point of church history, before all the deviations, distortions, and additions and subtractions of the centuries to follow, that the church of Jesus Christ would be largely free from error and full of good the kind of good displayed by hospitable Gaius. Sometimes we dream of the past with naive nostalgia and long for the future with naive optimism while we recoil from the present reality with all its messy struggles. But whenever you read in the New Testament, and 3 John is no exception, you find otherwise. There are clear and present dangers then, as there are now. There was good and evil. Not just evil outside the church family and good inside it, but as our text this morning clarifies, good and evil in the church itself. At times and places and in people where you would expect to find the greatest good. So it raises the question for us, how do you navigate such confusion where the treacherous and the true both claim to be followers of Jesus worshiping in the same local body. The Apostle John will help us in our text this morning as we read from 3 John verses 9 through 15. Follow with me as I read. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius… Has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I had rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The key verse of our text this morning is verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This verse has that decisive lightning bolt tone that we found in the epistle of 1 John straight up honesty, frank confrontation, and clear command. John is pulling no punches. In the context of describing the evil that Diotrephes is practicing, he reminds us that people do what they are. People who are born of God, who know Him, who've seen Him, actually do good. And those who actively do evil, and and this is their pattern, demonstrate that they are not born of God and do not know him. The root of an evil life is godlessness. The root of a good life is godliness. Connection with God or the lack thereof precipitates good or evil, even in the church. If the first century church that existed before the apostles of Christ had even left the scene— was a mixed multitude. How could any church 20 centuries later not be so? Human beings are human. We're sinners by birth and by choice. Because we're made in the image of God, even those who have never trusted in Christ can display good qualities. But sin still taints every part of who they are. Without life from God through Christ, there can be no deliverance from darkness no lasting transformation of heart and lifestyle, and no chance of being declared righteous before the throne of God by the, the perfect merits of Jesus, who transforms those to whom He has given His righteousness. In every church congregation, there are persons who have not been born again, along with truly born-again believers who at times behave according to the flesh instead of according to the spirit that indwells them. When we're away from God, every one of us will behave as the humans we are. But if we are of God and we know God, He will not fail to change our disposition and our ways toward good. So what does evil look like? And what does good look like? We're going to look at those two topics this morning from this text. What evil looks like, verses 9 and 10. What good looks like, verses 12 through 15. So first, what evil looks like. I have written something to the church, John writes in verse 9, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. John writes with his characteristic clarity, what Diotrephes is doing is classic evil behavior. Now, it may not seem like it because it doesn't, it's not like the seven deadly sins. I mean, some of them show up here, but when we think of of evil, we might think of a different kind of list. But this is the practical kind of evil that shows up in the church. First is pride. He likes to put himself first. Pride is so common to the human condition that we can underestimate how harmful and evil it actually is. It it tends to be easier for us to see it in others than in ourselves, and and sometimes we miss the mark on that. Humility would teach us that we're not very good at at motive judging, so sometimes we think people are proud who are not. But John helps us diagnose this condition, much like a trained doctor can discern what is cancer and what is not. Diotrephes, likes, to put himself first. He is self-promoting rather than self-sacrificing. He thinks of himself as the smartest guy in the room, the most deserving of honor and privilege, and his actions are geared toward making himself the most important. Watch out for those who are always talking about themselves. The first-person singular pronouns are their favorite words. Beware of those who consistently make moves calculated to promote themselves among others rather than working to serve others. It doesn't matter how gifted persons may be or what their credentials are. If their behavior is me-first behavior, it is evil. There is a disconnect in their walk with God. Either they are believers away from the Lord or they've never been born again. John Stott comments, after years of work as a pastor and ministry over in England, personal vanity still lies at the root of most dissensions in every local church today. So it's a red flag when we see this me-first kind of mentality wherever it shows up. Secondly, what characterizes Diotrephes, what characterizes his evil, is resistance. He does not acknowledge our authority. And here's where the pride makes itself especially clear. John has already written this church, but Diotrephes, to put it literally, does not receive us. John's authority is that of an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And as the last surviving apostle, that authority will be preserved in the inspired New Testament writings of the apostles. Notably, John repeatedly refers to what he has written in his gospel and in his epistles. You often see his words like, I have written this because. The writing he refers to here seems to be a letter of commendation that he would have sent along with the missionary brothers so that they would be received by the churches they visited. And be helped on their way. And Diotrephes is so bold in his defiance of John and what he's written to the church that he does not receive John's authority even while the aged apostle is still alive, nor does he receive the brothers associated with John and recommended by him. It struck me that this spirit of resistance to apostolic writings is rife today, it is fashionable to defy what the apostles clearly teach as hateful ignorance, and to affirm and celebrate what the apostles clearly forbid as loving enlightenment. Let's call such deception and distortion what it is. It is not love for God. It is prideful defiance of God. It is not love for other human beings. It is evil. And thus, inherently harmful to other people. The serpent tempted Eve first by casting doubt on God's Word and then boldly denying it. He went on to define God's Word as unloving and to argue that the only way for Adam and Eve to be fulfilled was to disobey God, not to acknowledge God's authority nor to believe in His goodness toward them, well, that kind of temptation, it's like it's, it's buried deep in our human character to somehow believe that God's commands are bad and that His heart toward us is not good and that therefore we must seek our own way if we would be fulfilled. Well, this resistance naturally leads to the next feature of evil. Self-centeredness, defiance of divine authority necessitates that I demonize those who hold fast to the truth in order to justify my own ungodly action. I was reading just this morning in Proverbs 10, the proverb for uh, the 10th of the month, Proverbs 10, 17, and 18, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reprove. That's when, that's when the Scriptures say what you're doing is wrong and you need to change. Whoever rejects reproof leads others astray. And strikingly, the very next verse talks about what's going to characterize the sins of Diotrephes. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. And slander is the next feature of this evil that's showing up in the church in the person of the Diotrephes. John says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Diotrophy's words are words of evil. And the adjective that John uses is, is the classic one used to describe the evil one, deliver us from the evil one. Diabolical, satanic. And this evil consists of, of empty, unjustified charges against John and his fellow workers. Diotrephes is making it up to justify himself, and John is going to hold him accountable for it. If I come, I will bring up what he's doing. Those words, if I come, reminded me of how often Jesus Christ himself says to each of the seven churches, I will come. And what follows is how he's going to deal with the church, either commending it, rewarding it, or even going to the point of ripping that lampstand, that light of the church, out of the world. He walks among the lampstands, that is the churches, who are to give light to the world, and he holds his people accountable. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save or destroy in accord with what he sees." We answer to Jesus. Jesus is the de facto head of the church. It's not just some kind of nice fiction. He holds us as his people accountable to him, and he will deal with us according to how we are behaving in the church. James, the half brother of Jesus, writes similar encouragement and warning for those that were suffering mistreatment in his day. In James 5, 7 through 9, he says, Be patient, be long-suffering, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, you know, they, they were trying to do the right thing, but they, they were having to endure the abuse of those that were doing the wrong thing. And it was easy for them to get discouraged. And, and James is saying, look, hang in there. Uh, the harvest is coming. Harvest always comes before the planting. Uh, let the rain come. Let it bring a harvest. Uh, the Lord is going to reward you. The Lord is coming. So keep doing right, no matter what kind of flack you're having to endure. And, and don't join the evil yourself. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, think about a courtroom scene and, and, and the double doors fly open and the judge comes in uh, in his robes and, and who is it that says, it's the bailiff, who is it that says, all rise and everybody, okay. Well, it's like the judge of all the earth is right at the door ready to push those doors open. Jesus will make things right. He will come. And it, 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 will, be, it will be even more accurate than the way the apostle could do it. But as a representative of Jesus, John is going to deal with this. And he confronts this slander. Slander and gossip are common in the world. They can also infest a local church. Some may try to justify such behavior but it is evil, it's inherently harmful, it's satanic, the devil is the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, and it will be judged. It's best to stop it before it leaves our mouths, and it's good to confront one another when any of us engage in it. And I think we all know that in our unguarded moments, any of us can fall into sinning this way. If you're kind of the target of the slander, you, you feel the barbs of it. I remember some years ago, kind of in a season like that, and, and so I was very much in my self-righteous judge kind of mode of all, all the slanderers or whatever, and I had a conversation in the hallway with, with one, of, one of the brothers in our church and was talking with him. And as I walked away, I said, I don't, I don't know if dude was in then, but I said, dude, you, you just did what you're so upset about everybody else doing, because that conversation w- was not edifying. That conversation was tearing somebody else down. It's so easy for us to do that. But the longer slander remains unchecked, the more harm it does. Much of the damage done to churches over the years grows from unchecked words of wicked nonsense with little connection to actual truth and with no connection to godly love and humility. I'll just say one more thing since he uses the words wicked nonsense and the idea that he's making it up on justified charges. Is it's amazing how much people say about what they know nothing of. When we, when we don't know the story, we want to fill in the rest of the story, and, and we almost always color it dark. And there are ways to find out what's going on. If it's really, if it's really your job to know, if, it, if it's important that you know, there are ways to find out what truth actually is. And even if you know the truth, the truth doesn't always have to be shared, But so often, what is shared isn't truth at all. And if you knew the story, you wouldn't be saying one word. This is true of all of us. So easy to fall into engaging in slander. And then this slander went further. It went through to abuse. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Well, at this point, we realize that Diotrephes is not just a church member on the fringe. It appears that he's one of the leaders, possibly one of the pastor-elder overseers there. And unlike Gaius, Diotrephes refuses to welcome the traveling brothers on gospel mission. He treats them with the same disrespect he treated John. It is likely, given that John had written the church ahead of time, that Diotrephes' refusal to welcome the brothers... Was, was, was tied up with his refusal to listen to John. He writes in verse 9 that Diotrephes does not receive us. And he punishes those who wanted to receive the brothers by preventing them from doing so and then putting them out of the church if they did. What Diotrephes did was to redefine good as evil and evil as good. He brings the power of church discipline to bear against those who want to practice good in line with the apostles' directives. This is nothing short of abuse of power. Evil in the church can start anywhere, but it stands to reason that the more influence a person has by virtue of gifting or tenure or position, the more far-reaching the damage. Anyone in a position of leadership in the workplace or in the community, in the home or in the church has greater opportunity for good and for evil. Whatever they choose to do is magnified because of the number of people impacted by their choices. I think it's really important for us to understand that that having position or having responsibility does not free me from the common flaws of human character or or the need to faithfully engage in my ongoing battle against sin. I think sometimes we think that, well, when I get this degree or I get this position or I finally arrive at this whatever, that that somehow then I, I receive the mantle of no battling sin anymore, it's this easy street. No, still human still human. And so, wherever we are positioned, whatever influence we have, it is right for us to have humility, esteeming others better than ourselves. It is right for us to engage in accountability. It is right for us, not only right, but necessary for us to have help. None of us are an island. None of us can survive without other, other people. All of us need help this accountability. And and as I was thinking about this, I thought about even the apostle Paul. Here he's written half the New Testament, and when he writes to the Colossians and to the Ephesians, he asked them to pray for him that he would make the gospel clear. And you're going like, "Wait a minute, you're the apostle Paul." Like, I- how can you need anybody to pray about making the gospel clear? I mean, that's your job, and you're like, the, the Spirit of God inspired you to write. I mean, he, he wrote these words through your pen about the gospel so that we could understand it, and you want us to pray about it? If the Apostle Paul could mess up clarity in the gospel, it's for sure I can if the apostle Paul needs people to pray for him, that that he'll be faithful and and live like he ought to, it's for sure that you and I need that as well. It doesn't matter what we've attained. And so here Diotrephes needs that kind of accountability. He is he is abusive. And really, you know, abusive just means you're mistreating people and, and that's where sin always takes us. That's the nature of sin. It's inherently harmful. Sinful ambition drives a person to use position to wield more power in lording it over others. Righteous love drives a person to use position to do more good in serving others. There's a great lust often to be in charge, but all being in charge of anything means is that you're accountable the welfare of more people, and that you'll answer to God for it. It's important to keep ourselves accountable to one another, no matter what role we may have in the church at any given time. Any one of us can get off track, and every one of us needs others to keep us on track in line with the Scriptures and the Spirit of God. Pride, resistance, slander, abuse— when I read that description, I realize this is a call for us to look into the mirror of God's Word, the mirror of our souls, and to see what we see. Because on any given day, this can be me. This can be you. And when we see these features of evil, we, we dare not ignore it. We dare not minimize them. These forms of evil are like cancer. They call for corrective action, for confession, for repentance, for, for resetting our behavior to a, a healthy lifestyle. Your brothers and sisters in the church need you healthy. They need you bringing good and not evil into the church family. And this kind of behavior Diotrephes is showing is is what harms any church, infects it and destroys it. It's evil in the church. Well, what does good look like? Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, John gives us no specifics about the good testimony of Demetrius. but, But look at what he does reveal. Demetrius' life pattern is well known, for John writes that everyone gives firsthand testimony about it. Further, his observed lifestyle lines up with the truth of the gospel itself. The scriptures haven't stayed just in the book and the covers of his Bible. The scriptures are flowing through his life. There's a, a correspondence between what the scriptures teach and the way he lives. And finally, John himself knows Demetrius well enough to add his own first-hand testimony. And Gaius knows that John's witness is true and therefore reliable. There's no question about Demetrius. His goodness is well known by those who know him firsthand. And I wonder, can those who know you best say the same thing about you? And I think, you know, often we, we do that. We are, you know, we're introducing somebody or, uh, you know, somebody's never heard of so-and-so and we'll say, oh, oh yes, he, he's a, a good man. She, she's a godly woman. And, you know, you think about, well, nobody's perfect. That's true, but one of the things that we want to be practicing, if we're practicing confession of our sin and repentance from it and we're making things right with one another, then, then while we might have our stumblings, the general character of our lives from everybody that we know, they ought to be able to testify firsthand that this, this is a good person. This person lives for Jesus. This person lives in a way that lines up with the truth. One more time, John refers to his writing, and there's more to be said, but he prefers to engage in person. And that tells me that John is no secluded theologian with no taste for personal interaction. The truth, he writes, shows itself best in direct personal interaction. Human beings need contact with other human beings, even apostles. Isolation does us harm. So he says in verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Part of what drives his desire to speak face to face is John's obvious affection for Gaius and the other believers. And so he goes on to say in verse 15, peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. As you look at those brief words, there are are key words that really give us kind of a, a portrait of what goodness looks like in the church. The words are peace, friends, and greet. The word peace is a common Hebrew greeting reflecting John's Jewish roots. We saw just last week in Jeremiah 29 that, that the sense of this wish here is not just for the absence of conflict, although that's included, but, but for the welfare and well-being of these people, a desire for God's blessing on other people in all aspects of their lives. And then friends, that's related to the word for those who love one another with family affection, brotherly love, if you will. People who like being together and express their pleasure in it. And then greet is a common word to welcome, to embrace the way close friends and family respond when someone arrives from a journey or is leaving on a journey with hugs and expressions of acceptance and pleasure. And then the little words by name not just a general affection for the group, but knowing and caring for the believers individually. You and I bring good into the lives of those around us when our heart desire is for their well-being, peace. I mean, What, what is your heart toward other people? What is your heart toward your brothers and sisters in Christ? We bring good into the lives of the church family when, when we show affection for them as family and as close friends. In other words, people can tell from the way that we receive them that we actually like them, that, that we're drawn to them, and we express that regularly. That brings good into the church. And then, when we welcome and embrace them into our lives, greeting them, and when we know them by name, that can be hard to do with a church family our size, but that's why we have the directory. Um, I just encourage you, you've been encouraged before by Ben and others to be praying through that directory, get those names and faces and, and, and be praying for these folk. But But to have this kind of response to other people really does bring goodness into the church. And and what strikes me about it, it's not not kind of spectacular stuff. It's grassroots goodness. It's it's with the normal cadences of life. I I think about the seasons of the year and the cadence of that. I think about uh, the rain, looking out the window at the rain this morning and and how God just takes care of things in natural ongoing ways and goodness is that way. You know, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and goodness just flows from good people made good by God and it, and it flows out in the regular patterns of life. Non-spectacular <laughs> kinds of ways but it, but exceedingly Fruitful. I mean, I thought about those lines from Shakespeare. The, the quality of mercy is not strained; It drops as the gentle rain from heaven. And goes on to talk about it being a quality of God himself. You know, this is what God has done for us in Jesus. God has granted us peace through Jesus. God has called us Friends. Because of Jesus, God welcomes us and embraces us. Sinners, though we are yet cleansed by the blood of Jesus and brought into the family of God, we are are welcomed to his home. And, And people who are godly treat the brothers and sisters the same way. This is goodness in the church, good and evil in the church. Well, evil looks like pride and resistance, slander and abuse. And good is captured in these words, both about Demetrius and then displayed in John's own words testimony, truth, peace, friends, and greed. May God help us bring good into the church, display good. May He help us see when there's evil in our lives and we need to get things clean and get things right, that we might bring the blessing of God on the people of God, good and evil in the church. Thank you, Apostle John, for showing us what it looks like. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this practical, personal letter. And it's practical and personal for us. As John writes about a situation 20 centuries ago, we see in the mirror of Your Word ourselves in our own times. We pray, God, that we will be people in the earth that bring good, There will be people on the earth that are opposed to evil, starting with the evil of our own hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would grant that the gospel so displayed would turn many hearts to Jesus, who in his great self-sacrificing love for us has rescued us and made us friends of God. We pray in his name.